Father, speak to us, speak to us, speak to us, Lord. Let there be clarity, Lord, in our inner man. Our soul, our spirit is tuned to you, Lord. The mind is able to decipher exactly what you are telling us, each one differently. It's not the same thing, same word, but to our situations you are speaking. And I pray, Father, that you would speak. You would speak to each man, each woman, each child who's listening, wherever they are, to their situations, that none of us would ever miss the big picture, what this is all about. This is about you. And about your son. This coming is close. Prepare us, Lord. Prepare us. Prepare us, Lord. So even tonight, teach us. We wait. Teach us, Lord. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. We turn first to Matthew chapter 24. And verses 21 to 22. Like, people may wonder, like, why at a time like this, a time like this when everybody is shut down and there are so many restrictions and why would we at a time like this continue preaching hours and hours? what it could be because we have to look into the word and we see what's happening around and we we have a premonition of what could be coming in the days, months, years ahead. All's been forewarned. So the word of God here says, and this is a very, very peculiar two verses from the Lord's warning, which always confounds me. For he says, the Lord himself says, for then there will be great tribulation. Such has not been seen since the beginning of the world until this time. No, nor ever shall be. For unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. It's very, very, like, put in the terms of the flesh, very scary. What could it be? What is this nature of this tribulation? That has not been since the beginning of the world until this time. No, nor ever shall be. What is it? Personally, I feel it cannot be physical. Because God's people have gone through the most horrendous torture imaginable in this, especially the church in 2000 years and the Jewish diaspora, all their history after they went into captivity. They have gone through physical torture doesn't matter how many variations you have, all has its own limits. And through the Middle Ages, through all ages, down till today, man, believers have gone through horrendous physical torture. So it cannot be that, cannot be famine, cannot be any of those things. So yet they all, or all those who went, or most of them, died in faith. All the apostles except Apostle John died horrific, painful deaths. and Nobody recanted, nobody went back on their faith. So the Bible says, unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. Only NIV uses the term survive. No, we don't have to go there. All the other translations uses the term saved. and I would prefer to go with that, saved. Does it mean salvation? 
unless those doors, days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. So elect is a very specific biblical term, very specifically used in the Old Testament and the New Testament for a specific group of people. Let's see Isaiah 42, verse 1, where it is used for Jesus himself. Isaiah 42, Behold my servant whom I uphold, my elect one in whom my soul delights. So here it is used for Jesus himself. He is the elect, the elect one. In Isaiah 45 and verse 4, it is used for Israel. 45 and verse 4. For Jacob my servant's sake and Israel my elect. So Israel is called the elect there. Jesus is called the elect. Israel is called the elect. I have called you by name. In Romans 8.33, actually in New Covenant there are plenty of places, but look at a couple of them. 8.33, who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. So God set up, set apart, redeemed congregation. The church is called the elect whom God justifies. In First Peter chapter 1 and verse 2, this is what Peter says. Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. So God from the beginning. Like if Jesus was the Lamb of God that was slain before the foundation of the world, God, because he is God and he sees in the end from the beginning, he sees everything, he already knows who the elect is in all ages. All ages, from the beginning till the end, he knows the elect. And in this elect in the last days, God says, for the sake of the elect, I have shortened those days, for the sake of the elect. It can be taken in two ways, personally. One, he is shortening the time of tribulation. Or he is shortening the days of the elect. Die before you fall. Okay? He knows everybody how far each one can go. Okay? So, it can be either way. Okay? We do not know what it exactly means. So look at the idea behind it. So there are these elect according to the foreknowledge of God. And now we go back to 24 and verse 22 to 25. For there will be great tribulation as such, nor ever shall be. Unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. Why? Follow the idea. Then, then, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ or there, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. So it does not seem to be we got to do with physical torture or all that. It got to do with the deception. That even the, the deception is so realistic, connected with the word and with the gospel and with the signs and the wonders that even the elect is possible the elect will fall. So I read it that way. See, I have told you before, beforehand, God says. So it is not God to do with, because you look from the history of the church itself, 2000 years, the church has been tortured like crazy, even till today, whether it's in China or North Korea or many, many Middle East nations, if they find you, you are, especially if, a, if you convert from that religion to Christianity, the the torture you go through. So it's not talking about that. It's talking about something else, the power of 
deception, the delusion, which Bible says God will allow. So I believe the greatest test God's people will go through what I would call the tribulation of the soul. It's not the tribulation of the body, the deception that will come of your soul. Because if the greatest thing that God does, the greatest miracle that God does is the salvation of the soul, the greatest work is the salvation of the soul, then the greatest deception also must be the destruction of the soul. We are always connected with the body. But there is no salvation for the body. You will get a new body. The salvation is entirely connected with saving the soul. So if the greatest work that God does, the gospel's greatest work is the salvation of the soul and the perfect work is where the soul is saved to the uttermost, then the greatest deception of the enemy will be also connected with the destruction of the soul. That's where we have to be careful because our issue is that we always associate tribulation with pain and therefore with the body because we are very body centric. Very body centric. So we always oh, uh, take the mark, buying and selling. and But why? Body centric people will fall for the deception, all the signs, the wonders, everything and they will fall for it and they will think that this is the Christ. This is the Christ. They will fall for it because you are very body centric, right? But the question we are not asking is this: the question we are. No. Everything we eat, we drink, we breathe, we see, we watch, we hear, we do. It's not how it affects your body, how it affects your mind. And we also know everything we eat and we drink and we breathe affects our mind. Affect our mind. Okay? It affects our mind. So the question we need to ask is not how it affects your body. How is it affecting my mind? And we do not realize the, the incredible importance of this. That's where Romans 12, 1 and 2 after putting across this entire set of uh, postulations, as you want to speak in arguments, if you want to spiritual arguments, in 12 he says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies. First he says, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And then he says, do not be conformed to this world. The world, I said, is a set of ideas set of ideas. The world is not not things, not the earth. The world is a set of ideas which get into your mind. Do not be conformed to these ideas or doctrines of this world, ideologies of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So it's it's got to do with your mind. It's got to do with your mind. And it says that you may prove what is the good, the acceptable and perfect will of God. Because the thing is that it is through the mind we pursue both the spiritual and the world. Our mind is there, the soul part, soul is there. It is how we perceive the world and how we perceive God, the spiritual and the world. Both the mind is the center over there, the soul, and then there is in the soul there is the mind. 
So we have to be very, very careful about what God is talking about because all the attacks is aimed at the mind. That's what we were looking at yesterday, no? And we were looking at in terms of prayer. So the greatest danger mankind is facing and has always faced is the destruction of his or her soul. And when we become body-centric, we don't realize the damage that is happening to our soul over and that's why even the, the Bible, Jesus does not say uh, uh, if, he says when you fast. That That's why the entire book of Leviticus is given. And that's why the Jewish community is incredibly brilliant, though they have fallen away from the grace of God, incredibly brilliant. One of the reasons is because of what they eat. They eat. The eating habits. It, it, it affects your mind. What you eat and what you don't eat affects your mind. Okay, it does affect your mind because everything, so the body is there and God is saying, you know what, surrender your body to me. In every area, surrender your body so that it doesn't affect your mind and your mind will have that clarity to hear from me, to understand what I am saying so that you understand what is the good, the pleasing and the acceptable and the perfect will of God because the attack is all the day and the greatest danger the mind faces is deception the greatest danger the mind faces is deception because deception is the tool the enemy uses to destroy our soul in John chapter 14 and verse 6 let us make it very very clear so that we understand what does it mean how do, how do people get deceived Jesus said to him very clearly said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So he, you see, he makes it absolutely, totally clear, no one can go to God other than through him. There's absolutely one way and one way only, and one person only, that is Jesus Christ. Anything outside of that is deception. You dilute this, your soul is destroyed. One person and one person alone. There are no two persons. One person alone. So you need to understand the power of deception. One person, one person alone. Second, and you, you also, yeah, comes to me, uh, uh, that. Then you come to Matthew chapter, uh, seven. Even there, this 14.6, remember, there are three parts to it. The pleasing, good and acceptable will of God. The pleasing is when you believe Jesus alone for your salvation, you are in the way. Then you have to move on and tackle with truth. When truth has taken over your entire mind and you have the mind of Christ Jesus, you have entered into his own life. These are the three parts. Okay, so the baby is in the way, the young man is battling with truth in his mind, pulling down, breaking all that, and when it is full, he has become a father who is living the life of Christ out. That's how Paul becomes a father. He began as a baby, became a young man, and became a father. Or Joseph began as a child, becomes a young man, and at 30, 
42, he's sitting there as a father and everybody is kind. He knows exactly how to deal with the Gentiles. He deals differently. Egyptians, he deals differently. His own brothers, he deals differently. And you can see he's a father to everybody. Okay, so that's what the Bible is talking about. So there's only one way. Absolutely on your anything outside of that is a deception. You will realize how much the world is caught in deception. Matthew 7 verses 13 to 14. Another thing Jesus says, enter by the narrow gate for wide is the gate, broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads. No, he says, I am the way. He now qualifies it further, further by saying, you know, your entry is very narrow because I am the only one. I am the gate. There's no other way. You have to come through me. You cannot come through anybody or anybody's work. Not even your own. You can only come through me and by my work. And second, the way is difficult. It will be a battle every day of your life. It will be a battle every day of your life. So you have to be prepared for that battle. That's why you offer your body like a soldier signs into those people and he's recruited. After that, his body belongs to the army. It does not belong to him. Okay, which ways will, and there are few who will find it. He says, they, many will get into the way, but those who reach third level, the life level, there'll be very few. Because the casualties of this war, okay, very few who will reach that. Third, this thing, exclusiveness, First Timothy chapter 2 and verse 5. Okay, it's all connected, similar, but okay. There is one God, there are no two gods, there are no gods, there is one God. One mediator between God and man, the man Christ is only one. You cannot have a second mediator. Not acceptable. There's only one mediator. The reason is to be a mediator with God, you be able to have access and speak to God as God. And to be able to mediate between God and man, you should be able to understand man and sympathize with man and gone through what man. That is the man Jesus Christ. That's why he's called the man Christ Jesus. Okay? There cannot be two mediators. There cannot be two mediators. Only one mediator. So understand the nature of deception. Like if you look into the world, the majority of the world is being taken over by deception. You have, don't look at old times, look at today. How many billion people? Seven billion people. I don't think the actual number of believers would be less than a billion. See, the power of what God is talking about, the destruction of the soul, because nothing that happens with the body is, cannot be even compared to the soul being thrown into the lake of fire forever and ever. The destruction of the soul that is happening, if people do not know the truth. So there is only one way, the way is very narrow, it's very difficult, only one mediator, and then Hebrews 10, 38, those who have entered into that way, remember, there is only one kind of life acceptable. There are no two kinds of life acceptable. My just, those who got into that way, shall live by faith. You cannot live by sight. It's not acceptable. You cannot live by any worldly values or wisdom or understanding and all, anything you receive has to agree with the word of God. My just shall live by faith, and if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. So today's, there's a fourth argument. Then if you go to Romans 14 and verse 23, everything outside of this life, 
everything out there. He who doubts is condemned if he eats because he does not eat from faith. The most common denominator between everybody. It's everybody eats. For whatever is not from faith is sin. Okay? It's not that you cannot live by faith and not sin. God says no. If you do not live by faith, you sin. No, I don't live by faith, but I live a very godly life. God says, no, there's only one life acceptable. Everything else is sin. So you put these five together, you will understand, boy, the entire world system is framed in such a way to destroy the souls. And please understand this. Okay, please understand this. When Jesus spoke to Nicodemus, okay, you look at the, there's no church there. There's no church. Church hasn't even come into being. Has not even been birthed. It's so far away at that time, years away. So you're looking at the Jewish community, the entire Jewish community. The entire Jewish community is controlled by what is called the Sanhedrin, 70 member Sanhedrin. They are the ruling class, the religious. And then you have the high priest at the top. Today's parlance to understand this 70, look in the terms of the largest, um, Picture you have is the Catholic Church. You have the high priest, meaning you have in that place you would put the Pope, and you have the 70 cardinals, not even the archbishop, higher than that, the 70 cardinals. Okay? So you have the 70 cardinals, you have the Pope, and if you want to put it like that, Nicodemus is one of the cardinals. They are called the princes of the church in their terminology. He's a cardinal. Think about it. To him, Jesus looks straight into his face and says, unless you are born again, you cannot even see or enter into the kingdom of God. Now, let me tell you, ruler of the synagogue, of the Sanhedrin, let me tell you, you are out. You are not in. You are not in. You are out. All your knowledge, all your religious ceremonies, everything is irrelevant. You are out. And you're not able to see or enter into the kingdom of God. He says, unless you're born by the word and by the spirit of God, you cannot see, you cannot enter into the kingdom of God. So what Jesus does is, he does not lower the standard for anybody. Anybody. He does not raise the standard to keep anybody out either. He doesn't do that. The standard never changes. For Nicodemus, standard same. Samaritan woman, Standard same. So she is practically like a loose immoral woman who lived with seven, six men, five men, six or five men, and now living with the sixth man. But God says, by faith you can enter. She enters and he is outside. Even when Jesus dies and his body is taken from the cross, scripture says, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a secret believer because of the fear of Jews, and Nicodemus, who came in the night. Doesn't talk about Nicodemus as being still a believer. Okay, so understand what is he's talking about. That is the way. There is no other way. There is no other way. So do not get offended when you hear the word. It's one of the greatest blessings in Matthew 11 and verse 6. Jesus pronounced on the church. Okay, blessed is he who is not offended because of me. And we will get offended. People get offended. And we do not even realize offense itself is a proof that you did not die in your baptism. Because dead people do not react. 
You may have a righteous anger for the things of God. That's a different thing. But you still do not sin. Be angry, but do not sin. But offense is a different thing. That means you are not dead. Your baptism is not working. In your baptism, if you are dead, because dead dogs don't bite. Dead dogs don't bark. You are supposed to have died in your baptism. So offense, be very, very careful about offense. Because of the word, because of me, he puts it across. When you hear about me and when you hear these things about me, no one can come to the Father other than through me. I am the way. I am telling you the way is very narrow, very difficult and very few will make it. But he says it's not impossible, it is possible. The only thing that blocks you is you yourself. Nicodemus may be blocked and be outside, but the Samaritan woman just walks in. Well, it's difficult, it's even more, uh, it's like, it's easier for the camel to go through the eye of the needle. It's actually a literary term because every city has had to have these walls and these huge, huge gates. And the gates won't be opened after evening for the camels to get in. But within the gate, there is a small gate. So you have to bend down to go through. That's called the eye of the needle. Okay, that's called the eye of the needle in that terminology. Okay, that's what you come through. So who can get in? It's, it's impossible practically for the rich man. That's what the apostles all asked because they all wanted to be rich. And the next, immediately Jesus walks into Jericho and Zacchaeus gets him. So God says what's impossible with man is possible with God. But everybody will have to humble themselves. Okay, if you are offended, you are out. So we have to be very, very, very careful about it that we are not, we are not offended. And we have to be very careful, very, very careful because offense is a sign. And let me, let me speak to, first, this five, ten minutes, let me speak to different communities who may be listening. I know there are Catholic brethren who are listening, including nuns who are listening. I know you listen. Let me tell you, we who actually know the truth, and believe the truth, and have entered into the truth, truthfully honor Mary than you do. Your honor of Mary is based on something that you don't even understand from the word of God. It's all emotions and feelings and hearsay. It's not truth. It's not truth. God himself said, in Psalm 138 and verse 2, I have exalted or magnified my word above all my name. For you have magnified your word. There is nothing higher than his word. And his word is forever settled in the heavens. So everybody who comes as a servant of God, from the Pope, the highest in the Catholic hierarchy, to the lowest preacher on the street, he may have nothing, all torn, trousers, now some of them, you look at them, Hawaii chapels, but they are standing from the highest to the lowest. He has only one book to stand by. It is this. From the president of India to the peon is bound by the constitution. It's a constitution that gives them the authority to do anything. And anything that goes outside can be questioned in the court and the court can declare it is unconstitutional and it is struck down immediately. Okay, so remember we don't have on earth an authority or a power of our own. It has to be backed with this. Backed with this. And let me tell you, if you come to Luke chapter 1, 
and verse 34. This is to my dear, because I am, I came from the Catholic Church, okay? So let me tell to my dear, uh, 34. Uh, this is Gabriel coming to Mary. Mary said to the angel, how can this be, since I do not know I am man? Okay, listen to her. Okay, listen to her. Jesus never ever said, I don't know how this can be. You always knew how this could be. Because in the Catholic dogma, Mary is made into co-redemptress. So they have to, because they brought in this doctrine, then they have to create create different doctrines to say she was also born without original sin. Okay. The problem is when you put divinity into her, then she cannot answer like this. How can I know? She's just a simple kid who does not even know what the angel is saying. She does not even know. So the angel has to explain to her, hey, this is how it will happen. Okay, she's just a simple, innocent, handpicked by God. Okay, and he explains to her. Now if you come down to Luke chapter, I'm going through the Bible as an ex-Catholic to talk to my Catholic brethren, understand what the word of God says. Don't lift your emotions about the word of God because that's the emotions is the greatest deception of the enemy. Emotions are good servants, terrible masters. When emotions get in, you get offended, you get angry, you get all upset. Listen, uh, verse 46 to 47. Listen to Mary. Now she's conceived of the Holy Spirit and she sings. And what is she, what does she say? My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. Who is her Savior? It's the Christ in her. She's singing of the baby that has been conceived of the Holy Spirit. If she says, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior, it also means the Holy Spirit is telling through her, you also need salvation. If you are born without original sin, then you don't need salvation. But if you are born with original sin, you need salvation. You know what? Who is there in your womb? That's your Savior. You'll also one day have to believe in Him. To be saved. To be saved. Okay? Please understand this. In chapter 2 of Luke and verses 48 to 50, we will see another incident. Now, now Jesus is 12 years old. Okay? And he was not lost in the temple as they thought he was found in the temple. He was in the temple where he should be. When they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. Immediately he says... He said to them, why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? She had no clue. They did not understand the statement which he spoke to them. She didn't even understand what he was talking about. His father. Mom, you don't understand what I am, who I am, what I am doing. Okay, so you have to put her and see her. She's just a nice, innocent, godly woman who has no clue. In spite of all this revelation, to receive a revelation and to believe a revelation and to understand a revelation are two different things. She received it and she conceived. And then 40th day, she goes over there, she hears Simeon speak, she speaks Anna and she hid it all in her heart. But she's not understanding it. She's not understanding. She believes it, but she doesn't understand it. She doesn't understand. Understanding is, then it becomes an experience, becomes part of your life. Okay, they did not understand the statement which he spoke to them. 
then we know the situation, what happens in uh, the wedding at Kana. Okay, the first time we see her after that. And he says, you know, we don't have to go there. Woman, what has that got to do? Okay, you can go there. John chapter 2. And listen to what he says. On the boat, Jesus and disciples were invited to the wedding. Go down. Okay, so that we get. And when they ran out of the wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And he's, look at his answer. Mother, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not come yet. Now, what is he talking about? She's talking about they don't have wine. And he looks at her and says, I understand you. I've been always been there for you all these years, but things have changed. I've gone under the water, come out. Now I live to God and my father alone. My entire life is surrendered to him. You are asking me to do something that is got to do with my death and the beginning of the new covenant, wine. My time has not come yet. You don't understand the time of my father. Your time is always. That is why he does that miracle without anybody knowing who is doing it and what is happening. And he does not use his disciples. He just tells the servants, fill it, take it and go. Makes it a just a normal event and nothing that is big. Nothing. Nobody knows how it happened. Because he doesn't want because this has got to do with the greater significance which will be three and a half years later. So she will say... Tell the servants, go to him and do whatever he says. And she walks away. Okay. So please understand. She did not understand the life of her son, the death of her son, the purpose of her son. She didn't understand. It was, see, this whole thing was a mystery. It was hidden from humanities. And second realm had no clue at all. Because the Bible says if they had known, they would not have crucified him. So nobody knew. Nobody had any clue. It was a top secret between the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. Not even the angels knew. Just, just classified, top secret. Nobody had any clue. Absolutely nobody had clue. It was a mystery of the cross. Then you come to Luke chapter 8, 19 to 21. Okay, 19 to 21. His mother and his brothers came to him and could not approach him because of the crowd. One of the things I always say is that if you notice, his mother and his brothers are never there in the meetings. You will never hear them sitting in the meeting, in any of the meetings and listening to the word. So that itself shows they were offended and they did not understand him. Could not approach him. And look at this. It was told to him by some who said, your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. And he answered and said to them, my mother and my brothers are these who hear the word of God and do it. Okay. Now that is a stunner. Now he's talking about a physical relationship and a spiritual relationship and he's really making a divide and saying, this is what is true. This is what is true. Meaning if they one day, thank God, they all believe and get in, they will never see me in eternity. Well, you may. And this is to which the spiritual reality we are caught in. My own flesh and blood. If they do not believe and get in and I am in eternity, got in and they don't get in, I will never see them again in eternity. And I have to make my decisions like that. And flesh and blood will all, that's why God will say flesh and blood will betray you. And you don't get upset by it. Don't get upset by it and don't. That's why Abraham lost so many years of his life because he was stuck at Haran because of his father who was flesh. He wouldn't leave him. Flesh. And then Lord pulls him. That's compromised 
believer. Then Ishmael was a product of flesh, holds him back. You will see flesh always pulling the spiritual man. And then when, when uh, what you call it, Lot is out, out and Ishmael is sent out and then he is able to rise and Isaac is able to grow properly. So you have to understand these things. If you don't understand these things, what will happen? You will be caught with emotions and you are not even realizing in spite of all your religious activities and all your You have believed a lie. And Mary is not responsible for it. She is not. She is absolutely guiltless and innocent about it. It was created by something that is absolutely outside the Bible, even the Catholic Bible. The Catholic Bible also says the same thing. It does not change. The word is the same. They have a few extra books. But everything about Mary is the same in every Bible. And he says, and Jesus says that. Then you come to Matthew 13 verses 55 to 57. Matthew 13, 55 to 57. Now Jesus is coming to Nazareth. This is his first, his entry into Nazareth. And that's his hometown where he grew up for 20 years, 20, not 20 or 25 years he grew up over there. And they are offended. This fellow who grew up over here is coming and giving these great sermons. Is this not the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And his brothers James, Joseph, Simon and Judas? And his sisters, are they not all with us? Where did this man get these things? And they were offended at him. Offended at him. Okay. Now they are very clearly making this thing. This is Mary. His father is a, he's, he's a carpenter. They're not talking about Joseph at all. So, yeah, we go over there to the first verse. You will see Joseph is probably dead by now. So, Joseph is not mentioned at all. Yeah, so they only mention, is this not the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? So, he has three brothers, James, four brothers, James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas, and sisters. So, when you use the term sisters, it is usually in English more than two. One. Sister. Two sisters, you will always mention two. It's more than two, you will use the plural term. Sisters, usual construction. So he has at least seven siblings. But the dogma says she was a perpetual virgin. She was not. She had a family like anybody else. The Bible says in very clearly in Luke, uh, Matthew, Luke very clearly that Joseph did not come know her until she delivered. After that, I mean, poor man, otherwise, what a miserable life. You know? God tells him to marry as such she's pregnant before he gets married and then he marries her and after he tells her never have sex with her. What a trauma for that man. And God is not such a kind of a man. So scripture is very, very clear that he had. See, you, once you create something, then you have to add and add and the Bible is very clear about these things. She had seven kids other than him and they did not believe in the beginning. They did not believe in the beginning. This is the issue. They did not believe in the beginning. And the last time we will see him, see Mary when she is, when he is alive, is at the foot of the cross in John chapter 19, verses 26 and 27. Even that is not something that is spiritual. It is very physical. They turn it into physical. Jesus therefore saw his mother and his disciple whom he loved standing by. He said to his mother, woman, behold your son. And he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour the disciple took her to his own home. That itself shows it's a very specific physical responsibility he is giving. The church wants to make it that by that statement he made her the mother of all. No, he didn't. 
Because we know his brothers got believed and later and all of them were martyred. And the only one among his entire family and disciples who survived till the old age was John. And he's seeing it through his eyes as God and as man and committing his mother into one man who would survive. And one man who knows he can trust because he loves him. That's what he did. And the last time you see Mary in the Bible, the last time you see Mary in the Bible is Acts chapter 1, verse 22 to 14. Now what is 12 to 14? Acts chapter 1, 12 to 14. What is happening is, Jesus is risen. Ten days are over, he is risen. And he said, go wait in Jerusalem. Not left from Bethany, but he is leaving from Jerusalem. He told them to wait in Jerusalem. So they all go. They return to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. Okay, so it's a day. When they had entered, they went up into the upper room, all the group, okay, where they were staying. Peter, James, John and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot and Judas the son of James. So the 11 disciples are there. This all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication. They are all praying and sin supplication with the women. And Mary, the mother of Jesus, with his brothers. Now they believed post-resurrection. They believed. And they are there all. That's the last time you will hear. After that she is not there. This is the truth. The problem is people don't read the Bible. And they get very offended. And the offense is a block. It blocks you and takes you the destruction of your soul. The destruction of your soul. Emotions doesn't change anybody. Only faith does. And faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of God. Truth sets you free. And Jesus said, Father, sanctify them by your truth. And your word is truth. Not any religious practice. I cannot preach something from here which is outside the word and tell my church, I said it, so believe it. Haven't I been with you all these years? Haven't you seen me? Have I ever left you alone? Believe what I say. No. You need to see that it is written. Because the devil knows what is written. He knows very well what is written. That's why he came and told Jesus, it is written. And Jesus said, it is also written. He knows. So deception happens when you go outside what is written. And create something that does not agree with the word of God. So there are wonderful people, wonderful, wonderful people who are absolutely stuck. And it's got to do with emotions. Emotions. You need to understand that. Or look at, that's a billion Catholics. Okay, But I'm not saying Catholics, all of them are not saved. There are a lot of Catholics who have put their faith in Christ Jesus alone and they are saved. But they struggle with their onward journey because they got into the way, but they are blocked by truth. Blocked by truth. Everybody's issue is with truth. This is what Jesus said. I am the way. Okay, you believed. I put my faith in Jesus Christ. Imagine I'm a Catholic and I was a Catholic. I put my faith in Jesus Christ. Somebody came, preached, I put, and I'm still in the church. But after that, truth is blocking me. You can't go further because you have to encounter truth every day. And I'm not able to advance in my life. And advancing in my life is not my good work and my charity and my schools and my house. It is not. It is the life of Christ Jesus. How I know him. How I know him. That's what John, the gospel according to John chapter 1 verse 3, in him was life. And that life was the light of men. It was the light of men. That is what it is talking about. 
Imagine another billion plus people, that is, the Muslim brother. They will say, oh, we believe in Nabi Isa. They believe. But one thing they won't believe. They won't believe he died on the cross. And if you don't believe and died on the cross, there is no salvation. Because your salvation comes from the fact that you believed he died on the cross and he was raised up. And I believe in that work and that is how you are saved. So, in this one billion people and the so many of the wonderful, nice people. Nice with a lot of them, really, really nice people. One thing is enough, has blocked them. What is that? He did not die on the cross. He was replaced. But that is the gospel. We preach Christ crucified. That's what Paul says. We preach Christ crucified. You take that out, there's no salvation. There's no salvation. No man can come to the Father other than through me. You see? Then the Jewish brethren. Jewish brethren will not accept Jesus as the Messiah at all. That is another millions of people. Been still waiting. 2000 years is come and gone. They are still waiting for it. They are not waiting for the second coming. They are waiting for the first coming. Did you see how people are caught? Blinded? Absolutely. Do you realize the danger of the last days and every day? And the last days it will become. Actually, when you look at it and say, oh my gosh, the gospel has gone to the ends of the earth. We have all this technology, everything beaming in and everything. And seven billion people. People must be saved. God says, you have no clue. Gospel has reached. People are not saved. People are not saved. Gospel has reached. To be saved, you have to believe the gospel. And the gospel is very, very exclusive. One way, it is Jesus. No other way. You cannot add anything to his work. Anything to his work. This is the problem. So the thing is, deal with things that matter to the soul. Forget about the body. Forget about the body. Body is going nowhere. Everybody knows that. Deal with things that matter with the soul. That is why Jesus said, do not fear those who can harm your body. What can he do after he kills you? His power over your body is done. The body, he, after that he doesn't want your body. He wants it buried as fast as possible. Because your body starts stinking. He's not interested in your body anymore. But he says, fear him after you are dead. You can throw your soul into hellfire. Beware. So salvation is the salvation of the soul. It's not the salvation of the body. So we have to deal with things that matter with the soul. Yes, everybody's body is locked up. Like I say, it's not Corona, it is Karuna, God's mercy. Everybody's body is locked up. And we can learn simple lessons, practical lessons, even from this COVID-19, which will be good for this year. Practical. I'll tell you practical how you learn from scripture. Practical. If you have noticed, most of the casualties are from people who are older. That's why the 65 plus don't come out and all the latest image. It's all older people. And not just older people because even one lady who was 103 with COVID-19 came out. It is older people with underlying diseases. Underlying diseases. Okay? Underlying diseases, heart, kidney, hypertension, whatever, whatever, whatever. And much of these diseases are caused by unhealthy living, eating habits, and very sedentary lifestyle. 
like one of the epidemiologists said that in US, the casualties, many of them getting, it is obesity. Okay? Obesity. Solution? If you win this lockdown is over and you come from, change your lifestyle. A simple solution. Change your style. Make drastic changes to your body, what you eat and what you don't eat. It's a simple thing. Be practical. The next virus will be worse than this. The next one will be mutating and there will maybe no vaccine for it. But thousands of people, millions of people have come through COVID-19. They may be carriers. It's not affected at them at all. Why? Because they don't have underlying diseases. Change your eating habits as simple as that. And change your lifestyle. Because you need to understand fundamental principles from scripture. Don't expect God to do what you can and should do. Please note that in scripture. Don't expect God to do what I can do and I should do. I and you cannot make uh, water into wine. If we could, the world would be full of alcoholics. We can't. But there is something which we can do. We can draw water and we can fill water and take it out. And God is not going to do that. God is not going to do that. He say, you fill the water, you draw out the water, the miracle is mine. What you cannot do, I will do. But what you can do, don't expect me to do. What people want to do is that eat everything under the sky. I'm talking about believers, Christians, who have the word and God has told very clearly what to eat and what not to eat. The, the same people who eat um, uh, are talking about, oh, do you know what the Chinese eat? But the same God in the same chapter who said the bat is uh, should not eat also said you shouldn't be eating shrimp. Why are you picking on the bat? Because the Chinese dead. And what if you die of shrimp? Both are unclean. So don't pick on the Chinese if you're a believer. Look into the word of God and blanket. These are all unclean. You know what? I have offered my body as a living sacrifice. I ain't eating it because I have a work to do. Because this gets into my mind. It affects my, if God says it is unclean, it is unclean. And he has his reasons. He knows better than the best scientist. Why he said so. Stick to it. It's your call. I'm talking about things which are very, very practical. The things you can do. Do. Things you cannot do. God will do. I am a cripple. I cannot heal my legs, but he can. He can heal my legs, but he will not pick my mat. That's my job. To pick up my baggage and walk away. Forgetting all of my past life before Christ and putting it away is my job, not his job. He's already said, I have made you new. Now live like you are new. That's your job. Otherwise you will wander in the desert and you will die. I cannot raise the dead, but I can move the stone. And he ain't going to move the stone. I cannot multiply bread, but I can make people sit down. And I can take it from his hands and distribute it. Those are things which I can do. What people want to do is people want to do God to do everything. Multiply it, distribute it, and I will not sit down. You sit down. We give orders to God. There are a lot of things which God says, I won't do that. 
I won't do that. So understand practical solutions. All the Bible is a very practical book. If you see it spiritually. First you have to trust him. And you have to believe him. He says there are more terrible things than COVID-19. Those are things that kill the soul. COVID-19 can only touch your body. <laughs> can only touch your body. It cannot touch your soul. And we are more worried about COVID-19 than the deception that is rampant. Deception that is rampant. No? And the thing is that the things that destroy is here. It's not in the body. It's here. This is the killer what gets into your mind. That's why in First Corinthians chapter 10, I would like KJV because other translations changes it a little. 10.5 Oh, Second Corinthians 10.5 Casting down imaginations. Every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Bringing into captivity every thought of the obedience of Christ. Everything. We don't realize, I like the word which is imaginations. Our imaginations cause more problems than anything else in our mind. It's imagination. We imagine. Imagination is not truth. We imagine. We imagine either about the past or we imagine about the future. We imagine I am very secure. I am going to heaven. Where does your imagination come from? Is it based on this? It's not based on the truth. It's an imagination. And God has not left us to imagination. He said it is written. It's absolutely clear. I like some of these uh, um, preachers when they use, be sure you are scripturally born again. Why? Because Jesus lived and died and rose again scripturally. It's written very clearly in First Corinthians, according to scripture, according to scripture. If his life and death and resurrection was according to scripture, then my life and death and resurrection also will be according to scripture. Don't leave it to imagination. You don't have to leave anything to imagination. It's absolutely clear, black and white, written absolutely clear. And if you have a more fanciful Bible, it's given in red letters also, what he has said. Imaginations. We can imagine anything. Like Numbers 11.5. We remember the fish we ate freely. It's not... See, take that word freely out. They're speaking the truth. Uh, we remember the fish we ate. But what are they saying? We ate freely. freely. That is imagination. Now Egypt is become a resort. You are not slaves there. You are all lying at the Luxor Basin by the Nile, under the sunshade, all of them. And the Egyptians are serving you. You ate freely. Kya imagination! They beat you every day and threw some crumbs at you. We ate freely. That's how people imagine about their lives, past lives. Really? Nothing was free under Satan. Nothing was free. 
you had no clue if God hadn't touched and saved you. The price would have been the price of your soul. Nothing was free. The only thing you got free in life was salvation. Nothing was free. This is the problem with imagination. And the Bible says, you go back over there, Second Corinthians 10, 5, we have to pull down. We have to, every high thing, everything that raises itself above the knowledge of Christ Jesus, pull it down. Pull it down. If it does not agree with the word of God, pull it down. Even in our own lives, we have to be very, very careful. Anything that does not agree with the word of God, pull it down. It is dangerous. If you allow it to be above the knowledge of God, you will be walking in a very false security. False security. And that false security is what will kill you. The Bible warns in the Old and the New Testament, when they say peace, peace, sudden destruction will come. Very careful. Bring it. What? Every thought. Bring to captivity every thought in your mind to the obedience of Christ Jesus. Not just the knowledge of God. Knowledge of God is one thing. The obedience of Christ is another thing. These are two different concepts altogether. You have to bring. This is an idea. Does it agree with God? No. I'm pulling it down. It's not enough. It has to be replaced with the obedience of Christ Jesus where you pull this down, you replace it with something else and obedience has to come to that. So God will say, flee, pursue. Then the obedience of Christ has come. If you only fled this, you pull it down. But because you did not pursue, the obedience of Christ hasn't come. You're still struggling. You're still struggling. And that's what the Bible is talking about. So I know it upsets people, but it shouldn't upset you. This is the gospel. It is the gospel. It should not upset you. Because you are looking at it, your memories, you mean all my works don't matter. If you are not saved, it does not matter. It's irrelevant. It is irrelevant. Let us say one, two, three, four. Four of you are sitting over here. You're all young people. Say that you wrote the civil services exam. Four of you wrote the civil services exam. And you came. And you showed me the question paper. I said, oh my gosh. Kya baat hai? Such a simple question paper. And I wrote, I wrote the answer. And I have a hundred out of hundred. Do they get me into civil services? No. Why? I never even wrote the exam. Right? First, you have to get admission, right? You all got admission. You wrote the exam. And the result comes. Then you are qualified. I never even took admission. But I know all the answers. What difference does it make? I have all these good works. But I am not even saved. I am not even saved. God says, it starts with salvation. It does not start with good works. You are saved unto good works. First, get admission. Or simple example, imagine everybody is sitting in class 10 exams and they are writing the exam and they finish the exam and come with the answer paper and look at the answer paper and said, kya baat hai? I know all the answers. Do I get promoted? How do I get promoted? I was not in the school at all. Not in the school. This is the fundamental thing which you need to understand. Everything begins with God, with salvation. You are saved. You have believed in Christ Jesus and Jesus alone. Christ alone. Nothing else. 
Nothing if you did, nothing. Because if you think anything you did could get you into heaven, then Jesus died in vain. And God is a liar. And everything he did was a big lie. That's a problem. You made God a liar. And the Bible says God is not a liar. If you think your good works will get you entry into heaven, then the death of Christ was vain. And Christ was the biggest fraud that ever came on earth. The whole gospel is a lie. The Bible says, let every man be a liar and God be true. This is the gospel. And this is where people struggle. People struggle. So, does that mean all the good works you did before you got saved is in vain? No. How does it work? All the good works you did, the good works don't matter. But in the good works, the way you did the good works, it became part of you, the discipline. What happens as soon as you are saved, you are far ahead of the others because the discipline is already there. That's how Paul overcrossed all the apostles. Because he says, according to the law, I was blameless. Well, these guys were all struggling who walked with Jesus Christ. This guy comes in years later because he's already got the discipline of a disciple without being a disciple. The minute he became a disciple, the discipline worked for him all his life. That is how your good works work you. That is why we keep on telling the children, telling the parents, teach them, teach them not about education, how to study, how to work hard, how not to waste time. Because these are disciplines that will work. If we both did not have the discipline of sitting and reading and studying, you also would have struggled. You know why most of the pastors struggle? It's not because they don't have the Bible or they are poor in language. It's because they don't have the discipline of sitting and working. That we got before we saved, got saved. So it worked for us after we got saved. Are you getting it? God can even give me a gift to preach. But to preach I need to have stuff. To get the stuff, Timothy, Paul is telling Timothy, Timothy fan to flames the gift received. And after that what is tell him? Sit and, sit and work hard. The gift doesn't work without hard work. <laughs> sit and work hard and divide the word of God correctly. Otherwise you will be bluffing all your life, Timothy. And nobody gets saved by bluffing. That's how some of these big TV preachers, every time they'll come, I have a new revelation. There's no revelation, nothing in there. Some of our Sunday school children can speak better than them. And they know better than them. You know why? I am not saying they don't have a gift. I'm saying they don't do their work with the word at all. Why? Because they don't have that discipline. So that is how it works. That's how your good work. Imagine, let us say, imagine Martha. Martha is what? In Mary and Martha, Martha is a good cook. And she's not, she can cook for 15 people if they come in suddenly. She can cook for 20 people if she come. And then Martha gets saved. Martha gets saved. And Martha is a blessing to the church. Because the church, in the book of Acts, has this ministry to the widows. And let us say, Peter and all looks and say, yeah, sister Martha is there. Put her in charge of the kitchen. She's got it. She knows how to handle it. Now realize her hard work has become a blessing into the kingdom of God. Okay, And she's no longer irritated and shouting and this thing and all, nothing, because she's saved and she's in the kingdom now. So that has gone. She's serving the the Lord. That is how it works. That is how it works. That is what the Bible is talking about. And people are not able to see this difference. And what happens? They've accumulated this huge baggage of good works. It is a baggage now. And they are not willing to let go. 
It's all flesh. They are like Abraham. Please, 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 Lord, please bless Ishmael. Please, Lord, bless it. Let Ishmael grow before you. Ishmael will not inherit Abraham. No, let please bless him. Then Isaac is born. Get rid of Ishmael. Very upset. You don't realize this is my ministry. So many houses what is happening is Ishmael and Isaac are growing together. They won't let let go of Ishmael. And if you tell them to get rid of Ishmael, they get rid of Isaac. I'm telling you the truth. A lot of people are living with Ishmael's because they got rid of Isaac. Because Ishmael you are very attached to because you birthed it. The other one you know it is God. The glory always goes to God. It's not yours. So a lot of people have ministries which are Ishmael ministries. Not birthed by God. Birthed by flesh. Isaac not only grew, they got rid of Isaac. And you touch Ishmael, they get very offended. Touch Isaac, nothing happens because Isaac is of God. Of God. And these fundamental principles people will not realize. And until you get rid of Ishmael, that is whatever you burst in your flesh, Isaac can't grow, Isaac can't inherit. And Ishmael will never inherit anything. These are fundamental things people have to get into their mind. That is why the Bible says, or surrender your body, which means, one, do what you should do rightfully with the body according to the word of God, and two, don't do anything. Don't do anything. Stop doing something. First, hear what you should do. Stop serving me. Let me tell you what I want you to do. Receive. Do not conform to the pattern of the world. That is Ishmael. But the renewing of your mind, you will know. No, Because this, this is the deception of the ages. And the deception is the highest now because of the volume of people involved. Let me, let me give another hypothesis. Let me put across. India has 1.3 billion people. 1.3 billion people. Let us put a rough estimate. 1 billion actually does not know God. 1 billion plus. China has 1.3 billion people. 1 billion does not know God. Islamic nations, 1 billion plus. 1 billion plus does not know God. Keep adding. They do not know God. They do not know Christ. So if you do not know Christ, how do you know the Antichrist? If you do not know Christ, how do you prepare for the Antichrist? So the biggest strategic victory of the devil is to pretend he does not exist. And he works through proxies. And the proxies without realizing are preparing for him coming, not Christ coming. Because if you do not know Christ, you don't know Antichrist. Like in science, if you don't believe in matter, how can you believe in antimatter? Because you need to believe in matter, right? And blindly, totally blindly, the whole system and the people are being prepared for the Antichrist. Because they don't know Christ. They don't know Christ. See how successful his strategy is? He's a brilliant strategist. He knows how to do. The problem is, 
The only thing can that stop him is the church, the believing church. So faith has to come here into your mind. Your mind has to have clarity. Because with faith comes Christ. And you start seeing differently. Life differently. The mind is being renewed by the word of God. Turn to how Jesus puts across through Mark. Mark chapter 7 verses 21 to 23. We, you know, Oh, not 21. Mark 7, yeah. Oh, you went to Matthew. Mark, yeah. 21 to 23. From within, out of the heart of men proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these things come from within and defile a man. Who said that? And we look at it and we take, don't use the lens on it. Now go back to 21. And then we'll, okay, go back to 21, use the lens on it. Because when Jesus says something, oh, you have to read it clearly. Okay. Uh oh. See, the devil doesn't want us to read that. But we read, yeah, Mark 7, 21. From within, out of the heart of men, proceed. Proceed. It begins with thoughts. Then the actions follow. Everything begins with the thoughts. So God says, cut it away at the thoughts. Nothing will happen. That's how it works. He says, you control your mind, you can control your actions. Cut it out of the thoughts. Cut it over here, it will not flow into your life and become an action. It proceeds as evil thoughts. So they sang, Saul has killed his thousands, David has killed his thousands. And he looked at him, cut it out. Life would have been different for Saul. Cut it out. I am not jealous of the young man. His glory is my glory. If I am the king and he is my servant, men my servant does well, the glory is mine. I will glory in him. He is my servant. Cut it off. My brother's gift has been accepted. Mine has not been accepted. Yet I will rejoice that God accepted my brothers because I am my brother's keeper and I will ask him, okay, your way is right. Will you lend me a lamb? Cut it off. Cut it off. What happened? Jealousy comes in. You don't cut it off then. These things, the devil will attack. Like the old wise man said, you cannot stop a bird from flying over your head. But if it makes a nest in your hair, then that's your problem. The devil's job is to tempt. That is his job. And he does a brilliant job. He tempted Jesus with everything possible, but he did not sin. So temptation is not sin. Succumbing to temptation is sin. So every temptation is a thought. And the Bible says, proceeds evil thoughts. Cut it away. After all the incredible, miraculous protection which God is giving, even though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Thy rod and thy staff, they protect me. You spread a table for me in the midst of my enemies. All that he says and is really experiencing it every day. And then one day one thought, if I live like this, Saul will kill me. One thought, immediately cut me. No. I look back, God's word is there, his anointing is there, he has been faithful to his anointing and to his word. I will stay one step ahead of Saul. Instead he went to the Philistine territory. 
and telling the Philistine king, Akish, I am your servant. Now the man who is anointed to kill the Philistine has become the servant of the Philistine king and he lives there for 16 months and does abominable things. What can God do? He has to destroy the entire work of his hands before he can be restored. So Ziklag is burned out. One thought led to 16 months of darkness. One thought. And God says, cut it away. Cut it away. You want to win? You have to cut it away. Young men have learned how to battle this. Cut it away. Cut it away. Cut yourself away and cut yourself away. Love people. Love them from far. Some people have to be loved from far because they will mess your mind up. They won't change. But you have to love them. But some people have to be loved from far. Why? Because they don't change. Like Derek Prince said, you cannot help people who do not want to change. Cannot help them. But you are one of the, that's what I said, one of the thing is that you have to use truth as a weapon there, but yet love your neighbor. But love doesn't mean go and there and receive that junk and listen to that junk. Walk away. Because why? You are securing your soul. Securing your soul. You are securing your soul. You are not being unkind. You are not saying one thing unkind. You know, you are not doing any of those unkind things. Though they may see it as unkindness. But you are not actually being unkind. You are saying, you know what? I am putting a premium on my soul. And I am in this race. And I look at you, you are a weight. You are not sin, you are a weight. You are a weight. Like, I will love you, I will take care of you if I have to, I will, whatever I can do for you, I will do, but it is affecting here. All things that are manifested in the flesh begins in the mind. So God says, COVID-19 terms, lock down your body and work on your mind. We have to cast down and lift up. How do you lift up? Does this agree with the word? Does this agree with the spirit of the word? You have to be, have both. Agree with the word and agree with the spirit. Both. God is raising up a set of people, worshippers, who will worship in what? Spirit and in? Truth is the word of God. Yeah, the spirit also has to agree. Spirit is the attitude in which God works. The Holy Spirit works in a separate, a different way. It doesn't work like we do. The Pharisees had that, the word, but they had no spirit. So they were cutting left, right and killing people. Okay, the spirit and the word. Be careful. Once you are there, Surrender your body, opening your mind to the ministry of the word of God, the Holy Spirit comes along. Because he is the teacher, he is the helper. Okay, and he starts fitting in, into your life. Because you don't have the power to change, that you also you want. Jesus did not bring truth alone, he brought grace with it. The grace is the power he gives you to change according to the truth. Okay, so when we look into COVID-19 and all the tribulations of the last days and everything, when you actually look into the world, there are only two possibilities. I'm talking to Christians. Two possibilities. One is rapture. The other is capture. End time scenario. Only two possibilities. Either it is rapture or it is 
capture. Lot of people do not believe in rapture. Lot of people believe in rapture. But the Bible is kind of clear. There is a secret coming of Jesus Christ. And there is a public coming of Jesus Christ. And there can be error in both sides. Okay. But one of the things you have to agree is this. When Jesus is coming, which is secret coming, which is called rapture, he is coming for his bride. And all are not the bride. It's absolutely clear in the Bible. All are not in the Bible. If it's all is the Bible, then you don't need three places. Even John the Apostle, a Baptist, makes it very clear, I am only the bridegroom's friend. He's the bridegroom's party. I do not have the joy of the bridegroom. My joy is the joy of the bridegroom's friend. And Jesus in the parable says there were ten virgins, five foolish, and five, and they were bridesmaids. So I have to be very, very clear if you want to read. So he's coming for the bride. Second Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 2. We'll have a KJV, NKJV and NIV so that we get the meaning correctly. The nature of the bride. Okay, who is coming for? So we understand what we are in. Because when we think about young men, we are not young men in God's eyes. We are the church. The church is a woman. So we are male yet spiritually we are the bride of Christ or should become the bride of Christ. I am jealous over you with a godly jealousy. For I espoused you to one husband that I may present you a chaste virgin to Christ. Okay, can I go to NIV there? Yeah. In KJV it's fine. Chaste virgin to Christ. And then? Yeah. I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. I promise you to one husband to Christ so that I might present you as a pure virgin to him. Okay? And what is the nature of this bride? Come to verse 3 of NIV itself. I am afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the servant's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. He will not take you away, but he will change the nature of your devotion. So, you know, see, this, this one is too far ahead. It won't, can't steal its salvation. So what I will do, I will steal its crown. See, it loses its crown. From that sincere and pure devotion to Christ. It's simple, simple thing like, let us say, God uses the entire imagery through the Bible about a wife, husband. The head of the Christ, the head of Christ is God, the head of man is Christ, the head of woman is man, and talks all that, you know. Meaning, the primary purpose you look at Old Testament, everything is that the woman is separated, comes to the man, and she follows the man. And her entire life is about her husband, not even her children, because the children will raise up and she will go. The purpose of the children is to raise them up godly children and hand them over to God to use. But her entire life is to become one with her husband. And what happens in the modern system? That is gone. Because women get interested in so many things, career, other things, everything. And what happens? Neither is the house built, the husband goes in another way, everything is gone. But God says, don't get fooled by that in the church. The sincere, pure devotion to Christ. Your focus is that. 
otherwise you will miss being a bride that's why i put your family over there so that you should learn husbands learn how to hear in pure devotion to christ and the woman pure devotion to her man where she knows her man understands all her his needs she's not one who knows by word she knows him as a person really really i mean that needs enormous time of spending together and watching him and observing this thing you know and that's what god is talking about the church and christ simple pure that's mary sitting at jesus feet i'm forgetting my baggage i'm forgetting all the sound here you know what my eyes are on him sincere pure hanging on to every word he's speaking gets in revelations are coming and i believe this is why 21 days 28 days 30 days are given for families to come together again talk listen create all the all the misunderstandings let it go don't assume you know each other don't assume you know each other and i always tell sisters when they get married i always tell them look you and your husband is one not you and your child problem what happens in india once a child is come the child is the idol then the husband is a neglected child in the house no you need to balance you take care of the child that's your due that is your responsibility but this is with whom you are one not with the child be very very careful always be very close god looks at all these things because he says that's the way it is that is the way it is If we don't understand these pictures we will not be able to become the bride so either it is rapture or it is capture if it is rapture he is coming for his bride and who is the bride somebody who is constantly allowing the holy spirit through the ministry of the word cleansing and cleansing and sanctifying and cleansing to become a pure chaste virgin for him absolutely we came out from the world as harlots he's making a virgin out of us this is spiritual truth not physical the spiritual truth we came we were harlots in the world we came from there as harlots and the spirit of god is now preparing a wife for his son and is making us a chaste pure and he says you know what eyes only on your husband pure simple sincere devotion don't let has has the devil came and split eve's mind split between god and self it's good for you no split wife doesn't say it is good for me she always asks what is good for my husband church doesn't ask what is good for me what is good for you lord that is why in first peter 3 sara is recommended and says you are her daughters yes my lord your desire is my command yes my lord some of his commands were life threatening yeah it's okay it's okay 6 7 is the weaker vessel not that one in between 5 4 second thing what is the work jesus does through the holy spirit to prepare his bride understand concepts efficient chapter 5 25 to 27 husbands love your wives okay leave that aside because it's connection with jesus christ but talking about yeah yeah which can we go back yeah 25 to 
just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. And what is he doing now? Sanctify, cleanse her by the washing of the water by the word, by the preaching of the word. And when you receive it, see, people always think like children. Children are like that. They think water is their enemy. Water is not your enemy. It's the enemy of the dirt on you. But you ask any children, child, go to have a bath unless it is hot. They don't want to have a bath because they see water as their mortal enemy. Water doesn't kill you. It kills the germs on you. Washing of the water by the word that he might present her to himself. Once the work is done and done to his satisfaction, he will present. What kind of a church? A glorious church. No spot, no wrinkle, any such things <coughs> that she should be holy without blemish. Okay, so you put these two together. Chaste virgin, simplicity, pure devotion, glorious, no spot, no wrinkle, holy, without blemish. Once a church or a person in any generation has reached that point, automatically becomes part of the bride. Whether you died or whether you are alive, you become part of the bride. All that set of people in those 2000 years, they will rise first, the first fruits rise. They get their bodies first. Christ first and the first fruits. That's his bride. That's what I believe. Not everybody. That's his bride. Because they allowed God to work. So who is the enemy of this woman? Which is the bride? It's the world. The world is the enemy. Not Satan. Satan doesn't come. He is very smart. He's created this world to get the woman to go. That is a church to go there. That the world is the competitor to our affections. You getting it? Christ wants our affections. And the world wants our affections. The world is replacing Christ in our life. And the world cannot be allowed to replace Christ in any area of our life. Like a man or would not allow or the woman, his wife, to replace him in any area of her life with any other man. I'm not even talking about sex. <laughs> that is vinyl. We are not even talking about that. Dependency on any other man is seen as unfaithfulness. Unless a man says, okay, that's fine. Seen as unfaithfulness. Christ has to say Christ has to say. And that's what he's talking about. Look at James chapter 4 and verse 4. We know it very well, but once more we will realize 4, 4 and 4, 5. Adulteress and adulteresses, do you not know friendship with the world is enmity? Oh, for enmity with whom? Hmm, that's your father-in-law. Father of the bride and the bridegroom. With God. Who therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Don't you think scripture says in vain the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously? Jealously for him? Jealously? Okay. And uh, fourth, uh, sorry, 127, James 127, what is pure religion? That's the work of the bride, but leave that alone. Pure, okay? To keep oneself unspotted from the world. So he makes it by the washing of the word, he makes it without... And what should you do? Remain unspotted from the 
all the world. So these things cannot be taught to people who are not interested. So what is their option? Capture. If they are alive when Jesus comes. Otherwise we will have to wait. Die to the flesh. You cannot kill the world. The world is there. It only will grow. Once lockdown is over, it will come back in full bloom. The world is not going to go away. But you can die to the world. Die to the flesh. Died in the flesh. The world is dead to you. But that is not enough. After that, devoted to Christ. Devoted to Christ. Are you getting the picture? That is why this this final picture in the final book of the Bible. And please remember in John's uh, Revelation chapter 1 and verse 10, you have to start from there. Then only you will understand it. In the day of the Lord, one ten, I was in the spirit. So please remember, he was not in the body, he was in the spirit. So everything that he is seeing is spiritual. And because we have not been in that realm, and we do not know how to read that realm, please don't read book of Revelation through mortal eyes. We will get it completely wrong. None of them got it right. Man is man. He is caught in this material realm. He sees something over there. He can interpret it only by material words. But that is not the truth. Once we are in the spirit, we will understand one day what all these things meant. So don't make this. That's why eschatology is a very dangerous field. You can make broad predictions and you can. I am telling you, if you go wrong in Daniel 70 weeks, one comma you go wrong, your entire eschatology has gone out of the window. I am telling you, because everything in Revelation is connected with his week. That one week. And I believe everybody has got it wrong. Nobody, and that's why God doesn't clarify it to, through anybody. That one week you have to see how different people interpret it different. And all are godly men. Not a, not a single ungodly man. All godly, righteous, prayerful men. But everybody goes in different tangents with that. Why? God says, only answer is, you prepare simple devotion, pure devotion to my son and allow my spirit. You want to set dates and hours and time. That's not going to happen. Shadika Din, I will fix you don't fix that date. I will fix. When the bride is ready, I will fix. So he's in the spirit. He's in the spirit. And one of the first things he sees is Jesus coming in and walking through the churches to check whether his bride is ready. That's what he's doing, basically. Checking on his bride. Seven churches he walks. By the time he comes to the seven churches, it's more like a harlot. The last day's church. He's checking on his church. Whether his bride is ready. He's not taking salvation there. If it's, if it is salvation that he was checking, then he shouldn't be saying he who overcomes. Overcoming is connected with the bride because he who overcomes inherits all. I know only one person who inherits all with the bridegroom. It is the bride. It is the bride. You know that. It's a legal thing. Um, let us say Peter is getting married. Okay, the illustration don't die. Okay, Peter is getting married. Okay, and Peter has got property plenty in Nigeria. Okay, and he's getting married in uh, in Lagos, right? Capital, right? Lagos is getting married, and then he marries this girl, and marriage is all over. And then they sign the register. They're sitting in the feast. He eats a little too much. He has a heart attack and he dies. You know what happens? The property goes to the girl. That's his wife. 
If he had died one hour or five minutes before the register was signed, it goes back to his family. That's the difference. So if somebody inherits all, it has to be the wife. Jesus is not having children with the church. This is spiritual. There are no children to inherit. Okay, this is a husband and wife alone. Inherits all. Okay, so Bible is very, very, very clear about these things. Because if it was only talking about salvation alone, then you shouldn't be talking about overcoming. And seven to eight promises of eighth one is of course final one says he inherits all. And the father declares you are my son to in that to the church. So if you go to Revelation chapter 21 verse 2, you have this incredible glorious picture. But remember this is a spiritual picture. So don't confuse. None of us know what this is. I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of the heaven from the from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. So is it a city or is it a church? We don't know. These are spiritual realities. Yes, 12 gates and each gate. But we don't know. We have no clue. Because this is a spiritual reality. Both could be true. It's a city and a person. Persons. We don't know. Because this is a realm we have no clue about how this realm works. Revelation 19 verses 6 and 8. The grand finale. What the whole universe has been waiting for. Revelation 19. And I heard as it were the voice of a great multitude as the sound of many waters and the sound of many thunderings saying, Hallelujah for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his wife has made herself ready. Okay, he didn't get her ready, she got herself ready. But he helped her in getting ready. She prepared. And it was to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen. Clean and bright. For the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. First you are declared a saint by your salvation. And all your acts follow. Meaning she has stitched her bridal gown. What do you call it? Stitch by stitch by stitch. Knitted it stitch by stitch. She has done by allowing the Holy Spirit to cleansing her is one thing. That is righteousness. Other than that every work she did was part of her wedding gown. She heard, she obeyed, she heard, she obeyed, she heard, she obeyed. And those are the righteous acts of the bride. And then you come to 21 verse 9 and 10. It's a spiritual reality. You can't change these things and understand it our own way because we don't know. 21. Okay. He said, last part. Come, I will show you the bride, the lamb's wife. Remember, it is a city we saw a few verses earlier. Come, I will show you the bride, the lamb's city. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. So, is it a city? Or is it a bride? Okay. This is the reality to which the church is called. And it is all here in the mind. So what happens? God has shut the whole world in and the church locked the church in and said, you know what? You are just going out and you are so caught up with the world. I saved you out of the world for my son. And the work my Holy Spirit was to clean you so that you are unspotted by the world. I'm giving you this time. 
prepare. Prepare. Don't get deceived. First, don't get deceived about your salvation. There is no other name but the name of Jesus. It's not Jesus and. There is no and there. I am. One of the ways, no. I am the way. There's no other way. And the way is very narrow. Way is very narrow. It's very narrow. And it is not easy. He didn't see. It's not easy for a woman to be devoted to her husband alone all the days of her life and not to be distracted by all the other things. It's not easy. But that's a demand. That's a demand. It's not easy. And it's not easy for a man to be entirely devoted to God and receive it and then pass it on to his wife that they, they too become one in him. That's how oneness comes. Not that she becomes one in him. And he becomes one in her. That is Adam and Eve. Fell away and sinned together. No. He receives it from God. He's become one with God. And he's passing it on to his wife. That is why the husband is the savior of the woman. And they too have become one in him. What happens? Something else starts over here. Because the world created. And there is shortage. And so many needs which we don't actually need. Like one thing this COVID virus has taught us is that you need very little to survive. How much do you need? How much do you need to live? One lesson everybody has learned. You don't need vacations. You don't need cruises. You don't need even aircrafts. World is going on nicely for the past 30 days without any of those things. Right? If you could shut it all this down and never get them back and go back to horses and bicycles and uh, bullock carts, how the earth will be clean, people will have nice exercise, everybody will be healthy again. Keep life very, very simple. So simple. The way I grew up when I was a child, life was so beautiful and so simple. Because we are up in the mountains over there, cut away from the rest of the world. No TV, no newspaper. One radio is there, one bush radio is there. On that you can hear Radio Sri Lanka, BBC and Voice of America. Three things. That is all your connection to the world. Nothing else. Everything is pure. Air is pure, water is pure, no pollution, food is pure, everything. Everything is organic. Today we go to special shops to buy organic. There there was only organic. And life was very simple. Nothing complicated. Life was so simple. And then one year we were posted to a place where there was no electricity also. One year without electricity. New school starting quarters were being built one year without electricity. So we had kerosene lamps. That was the best year I can think back. Not Egyptian baggage, but best year of your life. Without electricity. Best enjoyed. Living next to a wildlife sanctuary. Animals all around, you fished, you went to the river every day, every weekend was by the river. Life was so simple. He made it so complicated. You realize how much do you need to live? How much do you really need to live? Very little. Right? That is how the devotion goes from Christ. And we get spotted, then finally so warmed. By the, by the world. Swarmed by the world. You know? Swarmed by the world. You know? That is how life was. Always very, oh, everywhere old days life was. Even in US life was like that. Always. Every hotel, restaurant in the city was for travelers. It was never for people who lived in homes. 
I know when I was growing, growing up in my hometown, if anybody ate from outside, the answer was the mother did not know how to cook. Know how to cook. That was that was the way it was. Today, even there, the mothers don't cook. Everything is outsourced. As you come from the office, you go and buy a snack for the baby. Dinner is brought, heated and given. The child has no clue what a home is. The world has come into the hope, entered into every space in the house the world has entered. Every room has TV. The kitchen is full of uncooked food which is bought from outside. And everybody has big screen and small screen. And then everybody says, when rapture comes, I am going. God says, where? My basic unit has been completely destroyed. My basic unit was the home. And that home was to be this, a man after God's own heart, a woman after a man's own heart, and a children after looking at that and says, you what? We are also after God's own heart. And God said, that is what? We made one big idol called education. The force behind education was covetousness. Because you, you said, push them, push them, push them. These careers will give you more money. More money will become security. And no longer your security was God. You just shifted it a little, a little. You shifted it a little. You, you used the name of God there. But God was not your security. God was not your security. Your career was your security. Which is true. Your career was your security. So it's not bad to have a good education, but your security is always God. And parents have to be very, very careful when they are beating their children, beating not physically, about this thing. Don't put education as an idol. Learn the disciplines that come from studying. That's important. That you will carry. Because your professions change. Your profession can change from place to place to place to place to place. But the calling is always the same. Calling is always the same. In his father's house, he was a shepherd. In Potiphar's house, he was a steward. In the prison, he was in charge of the prison. In Before Pharaoh, he was the prime minister. But his calling was always the same. Never changed. To serve with integrity, honesty, and with simple, pure devotion. Looking at your boss, you can trust me. Dad, you can trust me. Potiphar, you can trust me. Prison warden, you can trust me. Pharaoh, you can trust me. I work the same way before you and outside you. It's the same. That is something, is your calling. Professions change. Professions change. That is what we teach our children. This is what the whole whole thing. And then you die, you go over there, you have carried that over you. Because this has been worked in you. What is that? The character of Jesus Christ. So what does the Bible say in Hebrews 3? In the entire household of God, Moses was faithful as a servant. Jesus was faithful as a son. So we are not just servants, we are sons. And God says, I saw you. You are faithful as a servant, you are faithful as a son. You can come here and work with me. I can trust you because I could trust you. Because I could trust you when you couldn't see me. You were faithful. No, we can. Revelation 22 will say, you can see my face and serve me. I'll put my name on your forehead. You can serve me. This is the end of salvation. And the beauty of it is, you get a new body. And the beauty of this new body, no sickness, no tiredness at all. 
Right? Now, I want to preach. I can preach till 12 o'clock. But people who are hearing get tired. After some time, my back also starts hurting. But the thing is that in heaven, in heaven, the joy of your father, serving your father, and this incredible boundless energy you have, and serving a set of people, whether it is in Jerusalem or new heaven or new earth, who are all sanctified saints. No jealousy, no envy, no talking back, no backbiting, nothing. Wow, work is pleasure. That is when really work will become worship. And worship won't be work. Work will be worship and worship will be pleasure. That's what he says at my right hand. is pleasures evermore. And we see a microsome of that by faith here. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things unseen. Joseph, did you get two dreams? Yes. What are the dreams? What did it signify? One, I should be upright all the days of my life. Two, if I am, I will reign. Okay. Do you believe? Yes. Show me. He showed it in Potiphar's house, in the prison. He showed it. I believe. Do you see the evidence? No. But do you believe? Yes. And one day, faith becomes sight. And that's how we work. That's why we study people like that. That's why we study people like that. Now the second portion I'm not getting in because it's a large portion. We'll continue there tomorrow. So we will stop there today. That's enough. We don't have to go till 10 to 15. There's nothing like that. Okay, we'll stop for today. But remember, this one, Pastor Vijay put it over there. So let me read. This one has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. In as much as he who built the house has more honor than house. That is Jesus. More honor than Moses. More honor than. For every house is built by someone, but he who built all things is God. And Moses indeed was faithful in all his house as a servant for the testimony of those things which could be spoken afterwards. But Jesus, Christ as a son over his own house. Who is his own house? The church. Of the church. Whose house we are. If, all these ifs, we have to be very careful. Okay, If we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope Firm to the end. Then we are his house. We are his bride. Then we are his bride. You can start as a bride and end up as a harlot. You can start as a harlot and end up as the bride. Okay? Please remember. We all began, came from the world as harlots. And God says you can end up. That is Paul's entire desire to present to Christ Jesus a pure, chaste virgin. So to all my dear friends, whether you're Catholic, Muslim, or otherwise, or Jewish, otherwise, let me tell you, it's only one way. Once you stand there, your works begin. All that you did before, the discipline works. It really, really works. You know, it works. So let's pray. Father, we just come to you, Lord, in the name of Jesus. We just thank you. We just praise you. We just worship you, Lord. Help us not to forget the big, big picture of what you are actually doing in the church. Let us not be contented with the fact that we are saved from eternal judgment. Yet there is another judgment still we have to go through. 
the bema seat of Christ Jesus, the great white throne judgment of Christ, where every child of God will stand before God and have to give an account of his works. And your word says, many will come through, through the fire. All their works will be burnt up. And all they will enter with salvation alone. So let us not forget those things, Lord. These are the things the church has to come back to. The church does not go back into the world, become like the world, doesn't get spotted like the world. It does not have the values of the world. It's completely, totally different. So your word says, do not conform to the pattern of the world, but by the renewing of your mind, you will know what is the good the pleasing and the perfect will of God. We pray, Father, as we progress, as we continue to study and continue to hear your Holy Spirit will speak to us, teach us, and above all, empower us to become what you want us to become, to become like you. Thank you, Father. Thank you. Plead the blood of Jesus over the worldwide church, everyone who is listening, wherever they are listening. And I pray for all the dear ones. I pray, Lord, that excitement will not abate. There's an excitement of salvation. But this has to be continued till the very end, O oh Lord. That they will not turn back. They will not dilute their devotion to Christ Jesus. But they will only grow closer and closer to you, Father. And the Holy Spirit will fill them continuously, Lord. And they will win in your power every battle, Lord. Every battle they will win, Lord. And we, using the authority given to us as a church, we bind every force of darkness that operates against the body of Christ. We bind them. And in the demonic realm, those who have come out recently, every occult that is being done, every spell that is being spoken, every ritual that is happening will fall to the ground and it will die. And the demons that are released will go back to those who send them. Even the deceiving spirits will go. It will not contaminate the minds of your children, Lord. Let their minds be clear. Let them know with clarity what you are telling them. Let them receive your power daily to obey and to walk with you, Lord. Let no one fall. Let no one stumble. Let them continue in that pure devotion till the end, O oh Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you. We praise you. We worship you. We glorify you, Lord. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, Rest and abide with each one of us. Amen and amen and amen.